0: If you will, keep your Bibles open with me to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. We've been studying through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings as a part of our normal Bible study worship hour. We've been trying to look at what the great physician Luke wrote as he was trying to describe the beginning of the early New Testament church. The book of Acts is in itself a remarkable book for many reasons. One of the main reasons is that the Holy Spirit provided for the needs of the church, guidance for them and for us. As this new church began, as the Lord had promised to build in Matthew 16 and verse 18, the Lord wanted to make sure that those early New Testament Christians knew what he wanted them to do. He sent the apostles among them, who taught them, who guided them, and who directed them. It provides for us the accounts of conversions, showing us what and how to teach. There are many times which you and I find ourselves in a world where we want to carry God's word to them. How should I do it? What should I say? How should I deal with people in various situations of life. We realize, however, if you're studying Acts 16, that Paul and his partner Silas find themselves in prison in the city of Philippi. While they're in prison, one might think that all opportunities cease. But in reality, sometimes difficulties open doors of opportunities to preach the gospel to others in that location as well. Here's the three things that we want to study in Acts 16 this morning. We want to begin with the prophetic vision. Brother Mike read to us from that portion just a few moments ago from Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. Then we want to move and focus our attention on the people that were involved. We obviously know about Paul and Silas and their part in this missionary journey, but I want to focus on two people whose lives were reached with the gospel. First Lydia, and then the jailer. And then finally, I want us to look at some parallel for people today. You and I, when we find ourselves going out into our communities, meeting our neighbors, our co-workers, and our friends, how will it be that you and I will be able to carry the gospel to them? Let's focus now again on verses 9 and 10 and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, the vision that Paul had was one of God's means to communicate his will. Yes, God spoke to men in various ways and at various times, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. But we realize that one of God's tools, if you will, was a vision. That was to be able to see something in their mind. And I would contrast this to a dream A vision is something that a person would see while they're awake. A dream would be something while they're asleep. Even though this was at night, Paul had this great vision. In Numbers 12 and verse 6, Moses wrote, Then he said, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. God said that's the way I reveal what I want, and Paul saw that in this passage. Visions in the book of Acts were for the purpose of sending a messenger. If you'll remember back in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius had his vision, and in that vision he was told to send a Joppa, call for one Peter, lodging by the seashore at the house of a man who was a tanner, Simon by name. If you will remember, Paul or Peter himself also had a vision of a sheep being let down from heaven, and he also concluded that he was to go preach the gospel to those Gentiles. When you go later in the book of Acts, chapter eighteen, verse nine, when he's in Corinth, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. God was sending Paul, and in this case, Paul and Silas, to those people in Macedonia. The vision was to preach the gospel to the people of Macedonia. And so as we continue on, we see that uh, this is Philippi of Macedonia, and there Paul found two receptive souls. Two people, the lady by the name of Lydia, and then the jailer. And when we survey their lives, there's a lot we can learn about them and their character. And so for just a few minutes, let's think about the life, first of all, of Lydia. You look at verses 14 and 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now as you look at this, you recognize one thing is that evidently she is a wealthy woman. You can observe that from perhaps more than one way. First of all, she was a seller of purple cloth. Purple cloth was the most expensive of their day. In fact, the dyes that it required was the most difficult to obtain. Today, if you go buy a shirt that's purple or versus one that's white or one that's green, generally there won't be much difference in the price. But back during this day, purple was such a, uh, sought after and desired color, it was a color of royalty. And if she was a seller of it, she would have had to have a good stock of it because she's not at home. She would have been a wealthy woman. But second of all, she was from Thyatira. She's a long way from home. Macedonia is in the um, arched shape or arched portion of Macedonia, today Greece. Thyatira is on the western part of the uh, nation today of Turkey, which would have been Asia in Paul's day. She was a long way away from home selling purple, but she had a house in Philippi. She said, come to my house if you judge me faithful. Having a house in Thyatira likely and having one, she would have been a wealthy woman. But she was also a religious woman. We see that she, along with several others, were gathered together to pray by the riverside. They met there. There was no one saying, okay, you have to be at services at this time. This is when she, of her own accord, chose, I want to go with some other people and assemble. Just as Brother Don said in the announcements this morning, you had a choice to make when you got up this morning. And you made the choice to come here. You made the choice to come and sing praises. You made the choice to come and pray to God. To remember his son's death by the elements that you and I partook of on the Lord's Supper. You see, you made a choice. She made a choice to go by the riverside. Luke tells us that she worshipped God. Her name reflects that most likely she was Gentile. Those Gentiles who embraced the worship of God were called proselytes. So this woman was a very religious woman. We learn also that she and all her household were baptized. When she learned what she needed to do, she did it. She didn't say, well now, do I have to do this or do I have to do that? She and all of her household were baptized. Baptized. Now, after Paul is arrested and he, is along with Silas, are thrown into prison, they come in contact with the jailer. We learn by reading verses 25 through 34 the account of the jailer. So let's read along together. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately everyone's doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul... "...called to him with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household." Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of that night, or the night, and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Here's something we learn about the jailer. He was a public servant. He worked for the government. He was a man who was given the charge of keeping the prison. To do that would have meant he was a man of honor and responsibility. You don't put a person in charge of something who doesn't have the capacity, the ability to take care of it. He had evidently earned the ability to be a jailer, to be a watchman over these prisoners who had been left in his charge he likely heard the worship if you'll remember in verse 25 it says paul and silas were singing praises to god at midnight and the prisoners were listening to them i must conclude that the jailer also was listening Because he goes to the cell of Paul and Silas, he goes and falls down before them and asks the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He must have understood that they were singing praises to God. He was inquisitive. What must I do? I want to know what it is that God expects me to do to be saved. Then the text tells us that he brought all his household to hear the word of the Lord. We often skip over the fact that it wasn't just the jailer, but it was his whole household who heard the word of the Lord. And then he was baptized. You see this this pattern develop. You have the preaching You have people believing. You have people then being baptized for the remission of their sins. Now, for just a little bit, I want to take some time to talk about a parallel of people today. Whenever you and I study our Bibles, we ought to always ask the question, How does this relate to me? What do I learn from this passage that will help me understand what I am to do today? The first thing you realize is that this message covers the spectrum from the wealthy to the common public servant. It doesn't matter if you're the person who possesses several advanced degrees or if you're the person who just made it through the sixth grade. It doesn't matter whether or not you have huge bank accounts or whether you live from day to day. The gospel is for everybody. And it has that same appeal because everyone has the same difficulty in their life, and that is sin. In Romans 1 and verse 14, Paul would say, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone. To the Jew first, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also for the Greek. You and I have to understand everyone needs the gospel. Second of all, I want you to think about the parallel to Lydia. And that type of person that you and I might meet today... You know, you look at Paul and he goes out to the riverside where they are. We cannot always expect people to come to us. Sometimes we have to go where they are and reach them in their location. Now Paul here preached and it says the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken. How did God open her heart? What was done that made her heart receptive? Did God somehow come and take Lydia and, and take a heart of stone and turn it into a, a soft heart? No. It says He opened. That's a unique word. You find it in Luke 24, verse 45. And He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scripture When you open somebody's understanding, you take them and you explain it in such a fashion that they are able to grasp it, to understand it, and accept it. Or, Acts 17, verse 3, the American Standard reading says, opening and alleging that it behooved the Christ to suffer and rise again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom said he, I proclaim to you, is the Christ. You open a person's understanding by what you teach them and that message. But then think with me for just a moment about the jailer type of person. Here's a person who is um, in a totally different atmosphere than was Lydian. He represents the ordinary man in a perilous situation. When he realized the doors to the prison were open, he realized... My life is now due. He was ready to fall upon his sword. He was ready to take his own life. He knew that he would be held responsible for them. Paul hollers out to him and screams out, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. No one has left the prison even though the doors are open. You know, this represents a person who is in a desperate situation. Maybe there's been a death or maybe there's the loss of a job. Maybe it seems that life is hopeless. You and I encounter people every day whose lives are very broken and they recognize, I'm not able to take care of myself. I need help from somewhere else. He evidently was influenced by observing their joyful worship. And I think about that idea of joyful worship. They were singing praises to God at midnight. Do you realize that people, when they come in our assembly, watch, they observe, and they draw their conclusions based upon what they see. They look at us and they see us as we... Go through the process of offering our praise to God. There's a great bad illustration found in James chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The way you and I treat someone who comes into our assembly. Do we... Favor the rich man? Do we favor the important person? Do we treat those that may not be as presentable with a lack of respect for them? That's possible. And if people perceive that we don't love them and we don't care about them, you think about the jailer. He knew that Paul and Silas cared about him. On the other hand, if you keep on reading, he goes on to talk about you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. But another illustration found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy or an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in... He is convinced by all. He's convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now we don't have the services where the miraculous gifts are exercised today. We don't have people who are speaking in tongues. We don't have people who have the gift of prophecy but he makes a point there that if a person comes in and there's all this chaos apparently going on, people speaking in languages and others not understanding, they look and they say, these people are out of their minds. On the other hand, if he comes in and he observes that somebody is being careful, listening to what God has said, he said, they're going to say, God is among you. People are able to look at us and draw a conclusion whether or not we are listening to God and we're loving God in what we're doing. This same man was told the same message. That is to believe or trust God. And that has to be the same foundation for our message to everyone. Remember Hebrews 11 verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And here's some important observations that you and I ought to walk away with. Number one, we must reach people where they are. That means not only where they are physically, but where they are in their station in life. Some are going to be further along than others. Some are religious. Some are not. Some are wealthy. Some are not. Some are in a crisis. And some are not. And we are to go to them. That's really the essence of the Macedonian call. Paul got a message go to Macedonia, help that man that's calling. Your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your family, they're calling out. Every time you look at their life and they say, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn, I don't know where I'm going. The Christian can say, I know where I'm going, I know how to get there and I can tell you how to get there as well. That's a very important observation from Acts 16. Number two, we must teach them with the teaching of the gospel message of faith in Christ. One thing that you learn as you study the book of Acts, whether it is Acts 2 and those Jews on the day of Pentecost, whether it is those Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, or whether it is the household of Cornelius at Caesarea in Acts chapter 10, Or now, here in the city of Philippi, it's always the same message. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He came to this earth. He gave His life for each and every one of us so that we could have our sins forgiven. That's a universal condition. Every one of us here this morning experienced that same universal condition. And so we must preach that same message. And then when the penitent believer comes and says, what must I do to be saved? We teach them to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Someone says, well, you're hung up on baptism. No, 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 it's not. We're hung up on it. We're simply following what everyone did as they became children of God. And so we end this morning's lesson with asking the question, what is your relationship with God? Are you a Christian? Did you obey the same gospel message that Lydia did? Did you obey the same gospel message that the jailer did? Do you see your need? Lydia saw hers. The jailer saw his. One of the things that you'll notice is the word immediately. Immediately he was baptized. He and all of his. When Paul realized God had made that call immediately. You don't need to wait till tonight. You don't need to wait till a more convenient time. This is your opportunity to obey the gospel now. We're going to sing the song, What Will Your Answer Be? And you think about the call that Jesus has extended to you. What will your answer be? Your answer will depend on where you will spend eternity. Would you come as together we stand and sing.